So if you'll stand with me, let's read these first four verses. Uh, doesn't sound like much, but there's a lot in there. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you in Jesus' name. Uh, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your great mercy and grace to us. Lord, uh, almost everybody in this room has lived in relative religious freedom, free from persecution in an official government way our entire lives. But Lord, you promised in the word that if we would live godly in you, we would see persecution. And, and so Lord, uh, if, if we're not living our life in a way that offends someone, then we're not living the right life. Uh, so, God, we pray that, not that we want to be offensive, but, God, that we would be loyal to your word and to who you are. And in doing so, Lord, that we would see effect from, from our witness. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies I heard today from, a, from an extremely shy lady who you've uh, done a work in her heart to be bold enough to talk to people. From a young man, 12 years old, that is willing to, to go out there and, and to speak of you. God, um, it, it just takes away so many of our excuses. And we just thank you for that testimony. And we pray that this day we would be bold enough to be a witness for you everywhere we go and everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. Uh, here's what I want you to take home with you today. God can overcome every sin except silence. If you don't speak for Jesus, that's a sin. Now, you may not count that as a sin, but did he not command us to go and preach the gospel to every creature? So if you're not going and preaching the gospel to every creature, you are disobeying the word of God and, and the words of Jesus and the command of God. And we call disobeying God. You say, man, that's too many steps to get to that. But it's still true, okay? Uh, no matter how many steps it takes to get to that, that understanding, that is true. If God's command is to do something, we don't do it. That is sin. The Bible says he knows to do the right thing, doesn't do it. To him, it's sin. It's, it's, it's just wrong to do. And so God can overcome any of our sin except silence because guess what? We're all sinners. Uh, and, and, and we're saved. Doesn't mean we're perfect in the sense we never sin. We shouldn't make a habit of sin. As a Christian, if we have sin in our life and we become aware of it, we ought to repent and, and, and change our, our mind and our actions, right? You with me on that? You got that? But, but it doesn't mean we don't slip up, mess up, and all that. But when we become aware of sin, as a Christian, the difference between a man that's not a Christian and a man that is a Christian, when we become aware of our sin, we repent. We turn away from it and turn to God. And that's a, that is an evidence that God is in our life, that when God the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we respond. It takes a live person to respond to stimuli, right? When my, I use my father so I don't offend you, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but, but when my father lay in the casket, I, I could stand over him and speak to him, and he couldn't hear me. That body there could not respond. I know my dad was alive in heaven, but, but that body lying there could not respond to me in any way because he was dead. And the Bible says we're dead in trespass and sin. It says, you who were dead, he has made alive. 
And the Bible lets us know that the way he does that is he comes and kills that old man that is dead to God and gives us a new man, a new life in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new, right? And so the old man dies, the new man is born into our heart. Colossians 3, 3 and 3, 5 talks about this, that, uh, we're, that, that we've been, we died and God has made us alive. And now though, in verse 5 of Colossians 3, he says, so now you need to put to death the members that remained on earth that are not in line with the will of God. And so all of us mess up. said a lot to say we all mess up. We're living in a time where people are looking back in history uh, we were talking about this this morning. We're looking, we look back, people look back in history and some of our heroes of the past, they find any flaw in their life, they condemn everything they ever did. And that's just crazy. Because number one, you kind of done some bad things yourself, right? And, and, and to condemn everything they did because, I mean, David messed up, right? He committed adultery, plotted and planned a murder of the woman's husband. And yet God continued to use him. Yet he suffered for it, but God continued to use him. Every hero of the Bible except Christ sinned at some point in their life. And, and so God overcomes those sins because it's those sins that make us realize the mercy and grace of God to forgive us and set us free to live the right life, right? We don't make excuses for our sin. Paul said, should I keep sinning that grace would abound? May that never be. But once I understand the power of God in me, the God, that God puts a power in me to overcome sin, that's what I strive now for. I, I let God help me to overcome sin that I can live that godly life. But here's my point. So you want to be a witness. And I know some of you God saved out of a, a, a bad lifestyle. I mean, I, I became a Christian when I was eight years old. So I gave up, you know, riding with, with the hell's angels and liquor and stuff like that. I was only eight. I was raised in church. So some people have a more dramatic testimony. Oh man, I've messed up. I did this, I did that. And what happens sometimes to, to you when, you when you messed up like that, you don't want to talk to people who knew you then because you're afraid they're going to say, oh yeah, I know you. You think you're all good now, but I, would, I know when you did this. Don't, don't, don't shut up for that and don't get scared about that. Step into it and say, you're right. That's what I'm trying to tell you. God changed my life. There was an old songwriter and he... He, uh, he was talking before one of his songs. He said, all my friends tell me I've been brainwashing. He said, it's a good thing. My brain was dirty. It needed a good washing. You know, and, and it's just who do you want to wash your brain? And we want the God, the Holy Spirit to wash our brain, our thoughts and, and all of that. And so God can overcome any of those sins except if you keep your mouth shut. Now, God, if he's got a purpose for somebody you're supposed to talk to, he'll fulfill his purpose. But what you'll miss out on, number one, you'll be sinning because you didn't do it. And number two, you'll miss out on any reward that you could have given to Christ at the judgment. You will have less to give to Jesus because you disobeyed. See, God, God wants to reward you for what he does in you. And so when you submit to God's will... He's giving you stuff that you get to give back to him. And you want to have a better offering. How, how many of y'all, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I was raised in a Christian home. I was going to ask you, but just think about that. I was raised in a Christian home. And, and, uh, and, and my parents at our house, between the kitchen and the dining room, there was this big cutout in the wall and then a door. And, uh, and, and there was a counter up there. And on, Sunday, on Saturday night, as a little kid... It was my daddy's Bible, my mama's Bible, my sister's Bible, and my Bible, because I'm the baby. 
you ought to hate me for that, but I'm the baby. And, and it was sitting on our Sunday school book, and on top was an offering envelope. And I had an offering in there. Now, if you're an old Baptist, you know this. Had little boxes on there you had to check off. You read the Bible every day, you know, and all these different things. And you, did you invite anybody to church? We used to count how many people got invited to church every week. Do you know that? Baptists love to count stuff. Especially money, but we love to count everything. I mean, just... And, and, and so, so we check off those boxes. And every Sunday, I gave my offering in Sunday school. Well, it was my parents' offering. They just gave it to me to give to Sunday school. When you get to heaven, you won't have anything to give God except what God gave you and you use for him. You've got to get a grip on that and understand that. Because what you want to do is receive from God so that you have something to give. I mean, as a kid, I didn't have anything to give unless my parents gave me something. So we grow up and think that our hands, our job has got us what we got. No, God gave you the strength, the ability, the brains, the breath in your lungs, the beating of your heart to do the job you're doing so that you would have something with which to honor God. And if you don't start getting that perspective that everything in your life is to glorify God, you'll mess up. And if you're quiet about God, that's a sin God can't overcome. Now, I know that we could argue about that. Of course God can overcome that. But for you, it'll be a waste when you don't do it. God has given that to you. And I want you to see this in this passage because it, it starts off with Peter keeps talking. My wife, you know me, if I had a dollar for every time my wife looked at me and said, do you ever shut up? Because I talk a lot. I, well, we'd be rich. Uh, I wouldn't have to keep working. Um, it, it says, and as they were speaking to the people. In other words, they kept talking. And notice the word they. Peter gave the sermon in verse 3 that we, we looked at very briefly last time. But now he says, as they kept... Peter and John are speaking to the people and they keep witnessing. They keep talking. They keep going at it. They, they, they don't get quiet. They are talking to folks. And it says, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now, the priests are those that are in there and you bring in your offering, your lamb or whatever, they're one sacrificing, do all that. They're in the temple doing that. The captain of the guard is a priest that is armed, okay? Now, I don't know whether he actually had a weapon, but he's making sure that you are allowed in. When we were there at the, at the wailing wall, Janice could not go where I could go. She had to go over to one side, and I got to go, and I even got to go down and see underneath where all the uh, Hasidic Jews that back then, would, we would call them Pharisees back then, same, same belief system that they have, and they're down there praying and reading Bibles and praying against this, this wall. I got to go where she couldn't go. So the captain would make sure the right people came in, the right people didn't come in. The wrong people didn't come in. And there's some laws for that in the Bible about who could come in to God's presence. And what we see here is, uh, that's the captain of the guard. But then the Sadducees. Now, I, I'm sure you've heard this, but I'm going to do it anyway because it, if, in case somebody hasn't, it helps you remember. There are four sects, S-E-C-T-S. There are four groups of religious people in this day. The Pharisees, which we mentioned, they're your fundamentalists. No fun, lot of damn, very little mental, okay? They're just like, nope, this is it, boom. And we got those today. The Jewish people have them, Christians have them, everybody's got those kind of people. That, that No, it says, you know, no room for God to move at all. Uh, it's just 
And, then, and, and it's not what God said, it's what they think God said. It's the way they interpret God, right, usually. And so they're, they're, so, they're so tight, they squeak when they walk. Um, and then there was a group called the Essenes, and they were a very close-knit group, and they held property in common. And the Essenes are the ones that, that copied out the Dead Sea Scrolls and hid them in the caves that we found in, in 1940s, I think it was. Um, that pushed the Old Testament back a thousand years. The, old, the oldest Old Testament document we had was a thousand years newer than the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when we looked at them, we didn't have to change anything in the Bible. It was still the, it was still the same. That was a cool thing that they did. But they were, they were existing then. They had been there around for about 200 years at this point. There were zealots. These, just what the word means, man. They were, they were Zionists is what we call them today. Israel and Israel's God's people and we need to conquer Rome. Every disciple was a zealot except Matthew. Matthew was the tax collector, remember? He, 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 he was friends with Rome. Every other one was a zealot. Who do you think the most zealot zealot was? I'd say Judas because he wanted Jesus to conquer militarily. It's probably why he betrayed him. But yeah, Peter is the other guy. Peter's just like, yeah, we're going we're to do this. But Peter got it right, and of course, Judas got it wrong. And then there's the Sadducees. And here's what marks the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the supernatural at all. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in a spirit world. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see? Thank you. Okay, I thought you might have heard that before. But that's how you remember Sadducees. So they're sad because nothing spiritual. Now... Here's the other thing about them. They were the smallest of the four groups, yet they were politically in charge. The majority didn't agree with them, but somehow they had political power. The high priests of that day and that period were all Sadducees. And they ran the councils made up of Pharisees, very fundamental people, and Sadducees, very liberal, uh, theologically uh, liberal people. They, they, um, and not only that, they were wealthy, aristocratic landowners, and to preserve their power... They were friends with Rome. They are the ones that in John 11 said, isn't it better that one man should die than, than the whole nation be destroyed? And that's, they, they're the ones that persecuted Jesus, prosecuted Jesus. You following me? They, they were so f- afraid of losing power and land that they sided with Rome and wanted Jesus put to death because they knew he was going to be trouble. And he certainly was because he got up from the dead. Now you got these two guys that hung out with Jesus coming into the temple, healing a dude, drawing a crowd, preaching the resurrection of the dead in Christ. So you see, Peter annoyed the religious elite. Look in verse 2. And I've noticed this, that, that spiritual people always annoy religious people. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were not annoyed that Peter and John were teaching. They were annoyed that they were teaching the resurrection of the dead you got to get that distinction there in that verse. It's not because Peter and John were talking. They'd have been agreeing with the Sadducees. They'd have been fine, right? Why would you be mad at somebody that agreed with you? They got mad because they're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom you put to death, God raised him from the dead. We're preaching him, and look at this miracle. And the Sadducees saw Jesus do a miracle and said, man, everybody's going to believe him. It's funny that people that don't want to believe something will believe it in contrary to the facts that are plain and obvious to everybody else. Have you ever noticed that? It happens all the time. I, I had a friend who was a pastor. 
and uh, there was something he wanted to change in the, way, in the order of service. And uh, I don't want to get into the details of it. I'm not sure I can tell the story without, but I'm going to try to. So he just said, okay, I'm going to... They had been doing it the way he wanted to do it. And he said, okay, we'll do it your way and see what happens. So they start, he started doing it the way that they wanted to do it. And sure enough, the effectiveness fell off. It was, you could see it in the numbers of whatever they were counting. And he said, one of those guys said... Oh, man, he's never going to believe us now. He wanted to hold on to what he thought, contrary to the plain facts. That's the Sadducees. They could have been witnesses of the resurrection, but because of their hardness of their heart, I know what I believe, don't confuse me with the facts. There's a lot of people like that. And And we like to look at other people, we're like that, aren't we? We come across something in the Bible that, that, that corrects our life, and we want to, oh, well, you know, that was for them. That was for those people. That, he, he, the Bible didn't understand what I'm facing. Listen, Solomon said this in Scripture, and it's still true. There is no new thing under the sun. Everything we face today, they face then. Everything. Nothing new. Technology is different and all that, but human nature is no different than it was back then. And so... Peter is annoying them by preaching the resurrection of the dead. In fact, let me just give you that Jesus promised what happened. Peter becomes the first persecuted Christian, Peter and John. And in John uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 47 to 50, here's what Jesus told the disciples. So the chief priest, in the, or, or here's, I'm sorry, here's where the Sadducees said this back then. The chief priests, the Pharisees, gathered the council and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. That was the Sadducees. And then Jesus promised persecution. In John 15, while you're there, let's look at it. In John 15, verses 18 through 20, here's what Jesus said. If the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus is telling us this, by the way, after the Last Supper and before the crucifixion. In that, in that span of a few hours, Jesus has given them, man, you better listen to me, you better listen to me. He's saying, you're going to suffer persecution. He promised they'd be kicked out of synagogues and out of religious places and in John 16, 2, he says, they'll put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming. Whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And 2 Timothy three twelve, King James says this. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, many times a way to understand something is turn it around and go backwards. This will let you know a, a foolish, a, 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 an argument that, that is, is false. In other words, people make claims if you just do the math and turn around and go backwards and see does it make sense. If it doesn't, then it's, it's wrong. It leads you to a false conclusion. A lot of our sayings are like that. You know, like coexist. Oh, that sounds real good. So there's a group of people that wants to kill everybody else in the group. Can I coexist with them? No. So coexistence is a fallacy. Jesus said, can light have fellowship with darkness? Can truth have fellowship with error? Can life have fellowship with death? No. These are opposites. It can't happen. 
And so, as Christians, we have to understand we're to proclaim the truth. Now, we're to do that in a certain way. We're not to be, you know, mean and, and, and persecuting others. But notice this. Peter is being persecuted. In verse 3, they arrest him and put him in custody until the next day. And here's a question I want to ask going backwards. It's the one I started with. Are you doing enough to be persecuted? Are you living a godly life in Christ so much so that somebody just really doesn't like you and it just boils down, not because you've been ugly to them, because you love them with the love of Christ. Some people go around and, you know, take a Bible and hit people in the head with it, and I think you ought to have your Bible, but we hit people in the head with it and say, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and you're horrible, and God hates you. You see people out there, they carry signs, God hates, you know, whatever. God wishes that all men come to repentance. I have to struggle with myself. Hatred is a sin. Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you might as well have killed them. And you're guilty of murder if you hate somebody, right? I stand before you a murderer because I've hated people. Was that too hard for you? Amen? Right? I mean, I am a lying, blaspheming, murderous adulterer because I've done all those things, at least in my mind and heart. That's what Jesus said, right? We like to soft pedal our sin. We like to say, ah. And so we have to bring, that's why the Bible says, bring your mind into obedience of Christ. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Because how we think is how we'll do. So when we realize that, we've got to repent. Well, Peter's the first persecuted Christian. And, and let me point something out. You say, well, it was just Peter and John. It wasn't the church. Are Peter and John a part of the church? What was Jesus' prayer in John 17? I pray that they be as we are. So if you persecute Peter and John, you've persecuted the church. Right? What did Jesus himself say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul didn't do anything but Jesus on the cross. He wasn't there. He didn't hit him. He didn't throw a spear at him. He didn't do anything. But he was hurting Jesus' body. And when you hurt the body of Christ, you hurt Christ. And so we ought to be careful how we maintain unity of fellowship in a church. When you speak ill of your brother, you are on the side of the devil. Because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. That's just, that's the plain cold fact, y'all. And so I catch myself because, you know, I sometimes have that little part of me. I'd like to say there's parts of me that aren't saved. And, you know, it just, I'm kidding, but it just comes up and you got to go, wait a minute. That's not godly. That's not what God wants. And we're supposed to love each other and, 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 and be together with one another. And by the way, if you're not doing enough now to be persecuted, what are you going to do when persecution really comes. You know the end of the world can't come without us being persecuted, right? I know that, that you may have been taught that, oh, we will never suffer persecution, but that's not true. In fact, the Bible promises we will. I've, I've given you the references for that. And, it, and if, if, if I'm not doing enough now to be persecuted, what makes me think when it really hits that I'll stay on my ground? We, we need to think about that. We need to, we need to understand that. And these men are arrested. I, I love what's going to happen next. And we'll get to it later. It's going to be really, really good. But we can't do it today. But, but understand that. So Peter is undergoing this persecution. 
And the body, we're going to see later on, they, you know, and Peter gets in this hot water again and again, and he and John. So later on, the church is praying for them. Right now, church doesn't even know what's happening. But Peter and John have been put in prison. They're going to go report to the church, and then they're going to pray. And guess what? They're not going to pray. They're not going to pray for relief. They're not going to pray against their enemy. They're not going to pray that God deliver them from any persecution. They're going to pray God gives them boldness to keep talking about Jesus. Because God can overcome anything but your silence. And so they said, don't let us get quiet just because we're going to be persecuted. This is their first taste of it. And then a verse that ought not be there is there. I mean, what has this got to do with anything? Look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. What? Peter's preaching, he gets persecuted, he's been put in jail, and, you know, humans, we like, we love a fight. (laughs) We run to a fight, look at that, whoa, Peter's in jail. And God says, yeah, but a bunch of people got saved. A whole bunch of people. Second sermon, Peter preaches in public. And a bunch more people get saved. While they're carrying him off to prison, people over there repenting and accepting Christ. And the Bible just makes a point about 5,000 men. Now the number of all of them. They counted by men because in that day women didn't count. Sorry, but that's how they thought. But they would always measure numbers by how many men. And and I don't think the Bible is against women at all. Uh, It's not what it's saying here. But it's just how they counted. So... If, if, if a bunch of them are married, you got close to 10,000. If they got kids, you're over 10,000, right? So that, the church has grown a lot in a few months. You got over 10,000 believers at least, in my opinion. I, I don't know if it's accurate, but I believe it is. And the Bible just drops this in there 5,000 people, 2,000. I don't know how many got saved at this point because the Lord kept adding daily, it said in Acts 2. So more, but a bunch of them got saved right here. And the Bible just says, so now it's about 5,000 men that are saved, plus everybody else. What is the Bible telling us? Why is that verse there? Because then it goes into the next day and the trial and everything else. It's almost like a, what? You know, it's, it's, it just, it flies by. And like, why was that there? Sort of like bad editing in a movie. I like movies and TV shows, and I've, I've been on went, what was that all about? Now, if it's a smart editing, it doesn't seem to make sense, but later it will. But if it never makes sense, you go, huh? That was pointless. If you're reading a book or seeing a show or something, the Bible makes no mistakes. He always has a reason of why he put what he put where he put it. Here's the point. The gospel flourishes in persecution. You know why the American church is dying? You know over 80% of the churches in America are dying. And, and by that we mean this, that less people are getting saved than the population is growing. Only 20% can even claim to be holding their own. Not all of those are actually growing, but at least they're holding their own. And a very, 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 very small amount are actually exceeding the population growth of their community to win people to Christ. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. But one reason, I would think, is we've lost our sincerity and urgency due to lack of persecution. And if you'll begin to live for Christ sincerely and preach Christ, 
I believe somebody will push back on you. It may not be big. I mean, nobody's going might probably not threaten to kill you or anything else. They, you know, they went to the park. We, we, we ran down there because we heard that Pastor Jimmy's getting really bad. So we were going to go Tuesday and we didn't get a chance to go. But, but in the park, you know, would you like a Bob? No, thank you. Some people will like, get away from me. I don't believe that. You know, all that. Which that's the ones I like because that's just a challenge to me. <laughs> I like to engage that. But... But uh, that's not always a smart thing to do, but I'm just saying. And so you start living godly for Christ, somebody's going to say, oh, yeah, I don't want to hear all that religious stuff. I always like it when somebody's upset. If they are not upset, if they're not like pushing again, people are like, oh, I want to hear more, or they're upset, God's working in their life. People go, ah, whatever. Those are people, the Holy Spirit's not even talking to them. People that are, are ambivalent toward the gospel, the Holy Spirit's not even working in their heart yet. But people that are anti the gospel or people that are interested in the gospel, God's working in the heart. So I see some guy like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, like those church people, they're all a bunch of hypocrites. I don't know why you go down there. Oh, y'all are crazy. <laughs> Man, you sound angry. Is God speaking to your heart? <laughs> sort of like the guy that Jesus healed the blind man and they said, this man's evil. He goes, I don't know if he's evil or not. I don't know if I was blind, I can see. Do you need to be his disciple? How oh, will not his disciple get out of here? They're all mad because they knew Jesus was the real deal, right? So you see a guy angry, just smile and keep praying. Oh, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I don't want you praying for me. Oh, I'm going to pray for you anyway. (laughs) Just be sweet about it and do it. These people are upset and the gospel's flourishing. The gospel's going forward because if it's good enough to die for, it must be true. Now, people have died for a lie. I know that. But the fact that 12 men, 11 men, saw the resurrection... And under threat of death, did not deny Christ, means that they actually saw Christ. Because you wouldn't keep all 11 together like that. They wouldn't say, hey, we're all going to die together, so let's hang together. They'd, one of those guys going, I don't know about you, but I'm out of here. But they hung in there because it was real. And I'm afraid we don't live for Christ because it's not real to us. That's not real to me. It's not a, it's not a reality. I, I was thinking about this and I thought about a quote. It's not a spiritual quote or a scriptural quote. But it, but it was from Abraham Lincoln. Because he had a general that he's going to be the next big thing. Man, this is the best general ever. His name was McClellan. And McClellan didn't do anything. And Abraham Lincoln sent a message to him that said this, if General McClellan isn't going to use his army, I'd like to borrow it for a while. And I just thought about it. If you're not going to use your Christianity, you got your fire insurance and you're content, well, I'm going to heaven, but... No, no, God wants to do a work in your heart and my heart so that I will burn for Christ. So I can't help but speak for Christ. He wants to fill me up with the Holy Spirit so that when those people bump me, Jesus comes out. Right? And so the key to this is not that you go, you're right, I need to live for Christ and go try to do it in your own strength. But to daily meet with Christ. To daily let Him speak to you. And your love for Him will grow to the point that you'll live to just please Him. And you won't care what men say. You only live to please Christ. Amen. I see a lot of you shaking your head, yes. Yeah, so I thought you'd say amen to that.
Here's a couple of things to help you do. Talk about Jesus constantly, consistently, and without apology. Some of you may be at a job where they say you can't do things like that. And, and listen, if you've got a job, don't take the boss's time to do this. Unless you can work and do it at the same time. But don't ever give less than your best to your job. Because God puts you there for that. But through that, at your breaks, lunch times, when there's opportunity, talk about Jesus. Just talk about him. And do it without apology. Then secondly, expect people to push back. You might as well expect it. I don't know why we think that's not going to happen. It's going to happen. If the people that never have trouble don't believe anything. If you take a stand anywhere, people are not going to like it. But a man that won't stand for something will fall for anything. So if you make a stand for Christ, somebody's not going to like it. And they're going to tell you they don't like it. Because they're bolder than you are in that. They're meaner than you are because you shouldn't be mean. But be quietly bold like Christ was and like the disciples were. And just preach Christ. And expect somebody's not going to like it. Just go ahead and get that out of your mind. I, I used to say a long time ago, I had to come to a point where I'd, I... Nobody's going to live and everybody like you. Do you know that? Unless you are like just a bump on a rock. So you're going to make somebody mad. Your choice is, who am I going to make mad? Right? And so I just one day decided the person I didn't want to make mad was God. And the rest I, I shouldn't worry about too much. I don't want to offend people unnecessarily. And I'm not saying be ugly and mean. I don't care, I'm a Christian. No, don't be like that. But make sure you're pleasing the Father. And then preach Christ. And then thirdly, pray God will keep spreading the gospel. And use you to do it. Why don't you ask God to use you to spread the gospel? And it may be a very gentle thing at first. It may, you know, we talk about living it out. If you don't live it out, you can't talk about it. That's for sure. But ask God, would you use me today to be a witness? And then be sensitive because I promise you every day God gives an opportunity for that. He just, he just does. He opens the door all the time. I, this morning, as I was thinking about the sermon, I thought about an opportunity I missed. And I'm going to go back and try to gain that opportunity back. And it's with my neighbor. And I, I'm going to go back and try to grab back hold of that opportunity. Because I know what it is. Oh, there's my end. I know what it's going to be. Just at least to talk about Jesus. I don't know if he's saved or lost. I, I don't know. But I'm going to use that thing to get to talk about Jesus. So just decide to do it, and then do it, and ask God to bless your attempt to preach the gospel, that God would use you to keep the gospel spreading. You know, we look around and we say, man, we live in perilous times. You know, everybody in every generation's thought that? But here's why we think that, because we understand that we are one generation from complete change. And if anybody in history ever should understand that, we should. Because we have two and three different worldviews living in the same houses now. Kids do not have the same worldview as their parents. And if you've got kids and grandkids with you, they don't have the same view as their parents. It used to be we were kind of all together and it changed slowly and now it's changing very rapidly. And so we're like, oh no. Well, here, the, the point is this. We're one generation away from from Christianity being lost if we don't tell other people about Christ. And I know that God's going to have his way and the gospel won't die, but I don't want it to die on my watch. 
I want it to keep going through me. Right? That may sound selfish, but I think all of us should have that same desire.